Welcome to the Birth Nurses Podcast. I'm Shana Brickner from Preparented, and I'm joined by my co-host Liz Baker-Wade from Birth and Beyond in Santa Monica. We are the Birth Nurses. In this podcast, we talk about birth and nursing practice and labor and delivery, and in a broader sense, the whole world of nursing too. From two women who have been on both sides of the birthing bed, we've got some things to talk about that will enhance your understanding of birth. Whether you're a first-time pregnant parent, a parent to one or more babies, or a professional in the birth world, this podcast is for you. Join me and Liz and special guests as we share and learn from each other here on the Birth Nurses Podcast. Good morning, everyone. This is the Birth Nurses Podcast. I'm Liz, and I'm here with Shana. Hi. Hi, Gina. Good morning. And we have a special guest today. Um, this is my friend, Fred Hammond. Um, I met Fred more than a couple of decades ago, as he is the partner, husband of my very, very good friend, Lori Hammond, from here in Los Angeles. Lori and I worked together for many, many years as labor and delivery nurses until her retirement. And her husband, Fred, became a registered nurse around 2007, and we're going to talk to Fred today about becoming a nurse, what led him to nursing, and this is Nurses on Nursing. Hi, Fred. Good morning. Thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it, and thank you again for um, having me up in uh, Gig Harbor, Washington again. That was uh, a fantastic week of just relaxation and beautiful surroundings. Hopefully, I'll be back soon. So, Brad, yes. tell me a little bit about you. You were first before your career a contractor. Is that correct? I was. I was a carpenter. Initially, started out in the military. Did carpentry, and then I got out and uh, did carpentry, and went through the you know training and whatever, and looked for work in the eighties and. Uh, started framing apartments and houses and, you know, whatever else. And about six, seven years after that, I broke off that, left that company with the supervisor or superintendent, and we became partners and started a business in 84, I think. Wow. Yeah, 84, 85. So from there until I resigned my license in 96, Uh, I was doing remodels and additions and in the process of that, I was, I got my EMT card and was applying for fire departments. And during the eighties, it was kind of like in between where they weren't hiring a lot because people there, they didn't have the, the big hiring. Right. uh, I think that started kind of when I was just getting out of the military and wasn't really aware of it. So I didn't apply until like 83. Oh, really? You were specifically in the Air Force, correct? Yeah, I was in the Air Force. And so and so, what what happened? You were looking for entry into the fire department. And was it an organic sort of decision? Did Lori and you talk about it? How, how did you come to decide nursing? To do. It, was, it sounded really fun to me. And I, since I like to, you know, help, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, help people and do stuff. And I'm a fairly active person. Um, that sounded like a pretty fun thing to do. So, you know, one thing led to another and I tested and did all our fitness stuff. And the only thing that kind of stopped me from that was being colorblind. 
So ah, interesting. You're in the military, you don't get to do certain jobs. So I think right. they said you could get out or you can choose something else. So I chose carpentry because I was kind of interested in that. And I figured I'd do something that I could do the rest of my life. Which, and you do. I have been in your workshop out there. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> Lots of fun. Um, so how did you get to nursing? Um, well, in, with the economy, with construction, you have good years and you have bad years. And I was starting to get tired of the bidding and then finishing a job and asking people for the money that you earned and then right. fighting with them about it. And right. I just kind of grew tired of that business end of it. So I started looking at other things where I could not have to work six days a week, 70, 80 hours. And, right. Um, I looked at police and I was still trying to get into the fire departments. And right. I, I said, you know, I talked to my wife and I said, I, I could do nursing. I think I could nurse. So I started volunteering in a couple of ERs on Friday nights, uh, Daniel Freeman, Inglewood being one of them. Right. And that was, it was crazy. Uh, mm -hmm. It was exciting and crazy and watching people and going, I can do that. Uh, I can do that better. Um, mm -hmm. I can, you know, I can not be so mean to people that, you know, and, and I get that in certain areas you get recidivism. Right. Know, people coming back and, you know, for whatever reasons. And right. So I figured, you know, I could do that. I just need to go get the formal schooling out of the way. And so I, I actually applied for nursing school in like 95 and mm -hmm. started my prerequisites, maybe 94 at Santa Monica College. So uh, did all that. And then I was very fortunate because it was like now a two-year waiting list. Right. And I had finished wow. everything. And we heard that there was two openings for the current starting class in February, which this was like January. Uh, this was like November. Mm -hmm. So we went to the college and we stood in line at three o'clock in the morning. And we were the first two people, me and my classmate that went through it with me and wow we got those spots you know that's incredible and at this point you are married and raising three children in yeah. los angeles and still still trying to work uh, you know working. yeah trying <laughs> right. to support, do my my bit of supporting things Absolutely. so that, you know it's and it's just you just go okay i need to do this it's not like i have right. to do this or whatever it was mm -hmm. you know lori and i had talked about going broke for a while and, you know, the stresses of going back to school and, and having kids and knowing when to say when and right. whatever, and trying to keep your, your mind in the right place. So, you know, after the conversation it was like, okay, both feet in, let's go. So your wife was already a nurse. Yeah. She was, time. she got, she started working in 78 or 79. So she okay. went from high school to college to nursing Right. And she became a nurse while I was still in the military. And it didn't scare you knowing her schedule and how she would no. come home from work and how exhausted no, she was. Because I figured, I figured we're going to have to work anyway, one way or the other. Right. And whatever job you do, you have to, you know, it's like, well, you just do this. It's not like, oh, it's terrible. It's like you go, okay, I need to do this. That's yeah. kind of how we both are. It's like, oh, let's, we kind of look down the road and, you know, okay, I think I can handle this. Wow. So um, uh, can I ask you something? Do you think that having a partner who was also a registered nurse lended it to feeling like that you had some kind of 
or a little bit more um, empathy from Lori? Like she understood what you were going um, through. I, I think that I saw the type of people that did it. Ah, interesting. Please expand said, on that. It said, you know, and it's just like any other job or profession, you have people that are really good and you have people that are good, but not good people, or, you know, not good people, people, not, not bad people. But you, so you kind of, you know, you look at people and go how they handle themselves and how they are professionally. And, you know, and, and you hear things and go, I don't want to be like that, but you go, I, I can do that. And so I think the choice of doing that was more, um, probably 55% financial because I knew I'd be getting a check every two weeks, which was no guarantee in construction. Right. And the other thing was I would be able to start putting money away for our future. Yeah. So, and then the other, the 40, the the 45% was a job that I thought I could do and I was good with people and, and compassionate and, you know, not a stick in the mud. And, and I think, being myself, I could, you know, once you get to the point of experience, you could lead people without telling them what to do, but by example and and guiding them rather than dictating, because I, I'd much rather have somebody think they can do the job and I have just given them push or I'm behind them. Right. So, Fantastic. Yeah. I happen to yeah. know several people that worked in the emergency room through for many years at UCLA, and I can attest that that is true yeah, like to your uh, to the way that <laughs> not true Terrible the person, way that yeah. you uh, that the way that you work in your work ethic yeah. and the feeling yeah. I think maybe uh, the people felt safe when you were on that you That's could handle the, that <laughs> the my, craziness. Yeah. That was my job. Is yeah. when I became charge, and I started being charge nurse six months after I started nursing because I wow. was forty something and you know a little bit more mature and. I didn't know all the nursing stuff, but I knew how to deal with people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you just go to work and be yourself. And, you know, everybody, when I'm in charge, everybody is mine. So it's. I have to say for our listening audience, um, what Fred just said is so profound and so important as in this day and age, we find ourselves being, um, led our nurse leaders oftentimes or our charge nurses are very, very young men and women who have not been in the field for a long time, who have not had other careers or had a chance to mature and grow and learn how to deal with people. So that was such a benefit, I know, for emergency room staff to have somebody who's been around the block. You know what I mean? Yeah, grown up. How did you get to emergency room after nursing school? Like, what led you to the ER? That was that was my already your experience. That was my goal. I, I really? was going to do either that or nothing else, and and that's always been my thought process and my mm-hmm. opinion that I, if they got rid of ER and did something else with it, I either go to like urgent care or I'd find another job. Really, you were that compelled to be in the emergency room, and you, you had also had that. some experience, yeah. yeah. You like the excitement, the maybe? Yeah. Is it excitement? Is it adrenaline? Is it um, talking people down? It's the relating, it's constant, all of it? It's constant change. And it's yeah. um, it, it's not adrenaline 100%, but it's always you have to be ready for something. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's the Boy Scout thing. Be prepared. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think as yeah. labor and delivery nurses, and I'm sure Lori yeah, the same can way. attest to this, we, can we really... have a lot of nurses who are a little bit stunned when they come to labor and delivery because we are uh, an obstetric emergency room. Yeah, and, I would. Uh, I don't think that I could stand up to the rigors of that. And I know that there are better nurses than I ever was doing that. So why do you say that? Why do you think why do you think you couldn't stand up to that? I just I just don't I don't know, because it was something that I just was always looking, listening to Lori, you know, and her things. And I go, God, that's crazy. Yeah, it can <laughs> be. on the other side of it, what I was doing was just as crazy, you know, right. Yeah. With parts sticking out of them and holes in them and right you know or you know they can't breathe and you're 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 like okay i gotta do this and this and this and you're you know you after a while you're you hear what's going on and your thought process is already passed what do i have to do but it's already there and who's coming and and sometimes yeah. you get a little freaked out and panic and go like oh god what do i do and then somebody will say something you go oh, that's it that's just, right had a brain fart for a minute. Right. Absolutely. That's what's yeah. amazing about nursing and nurses that each person and their personality, their unique personality can fit into a certain department, but also how we've seen nurses transfer from one unit to another because maybe they started somewhere and then they realize a better fit is somewhere mm -hmm. else. Yeah. But I like that you took your knowledge of contracting and military and just who you are as a leader and someone who can roll with the punches and think quick on your feet and transfer that to your nursing career. Yeah, that, it's, yeah. it's, you know, you don't think of it. You don't think about it. You just go and do. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of younger nurses because I'm always... 15 or 20 years older than everybody else, pretty much. Yeah, I'm feeling that now. I feel you. <laughs> yeah, but you, you, you know, you don't, you, you don't, you, you don't second guess them when they're in charge. You, you support them and you, you know, you, you, instead of telling them, you just say, do you think we could do this? Or do you think this is a good idea? And I, I, I don't have an ego to, to have to stoke. So I could just, somebody, you know, somebody goes telling me, well, Hey, can you go do that? I already did it, but I'll to go do this other thing too. So you're always, you know, you, you look and you're looking for things to do and you're looking, you know, you're listening, even when you're doing your own thing on your, with your patients and they're sick, you're still listening, kind of listening out going, oh, okay, it's pretty good out there. And yeah, so. Absolutely. I talk to nurses on my unit and try to let them know don't feel antagonized or criticized if an older nurse questions you about the fetal heart rate tracing or what's going on with your patient just absorb it all yeah. and uh, we're on your side we all want the same thing for mm -hmm. sure so when you became a charge nurse you were pretty new in the emergency room even though you had all of this vast experience overall how did you see nursing from a different perspective when you were in charge? What things you could make better and what things were stuck with? Some of the things that you found that you could think of a way to make things better for nurses, for nurses specifically. 
I, th I think the biggest thing was mm -hmm. be there as a supporting person because mm -hmm. you're not going to change a lot of process in 12 hours. You're going to, you're, what right. you're going to do is over the course of all of the hours that you're there doing a charge nurse or backup charge, or even just a, a floor nurse or a staff nurse, you're always looking for something to streamline the process, but not cut corners. And although I think that I've, I'm a person that has a tendency to cut corners to get to the point. Right. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, somebody comes in with one complaint and you're still kind of looking at them going, yeah, you don't look really good for this complaint. Let's, you know, let me get the doc in here and, and we'll, and, and then you're, you're already formulating what you think is going on. So you're planning on what I have to do. I got to get this person a monitor. I got to get them stripped down. I got to get an IV in them. I got to get, you know, EKG or whatever, or respiratory, or uh, I think that, you know, are you bleeding inside? Why, you know, why are you so pale? Things, you know, you're just, what, and what Lloyd told me before I became a nurse is look at people when they, they're walking in. That's what such, it's so true. What do you see? Yeah. Right. Observation. So in supporting new nurses, trying to tell them to look beyond what their initial complaint is and what else is going on. We do a head to toe, but it does, yeah. it does concern me sometimes that, um, you know, when for us in a labor and delivery unit, we often just assume every pain is labor pain. And we know that that's absolutely not true in the emergency room. I mean, other than also getting pregnant people in there, any different variant of any different thing can present itself. Yeah. And you have and, to be astute. And you're that person. You've been in the military. You have raised children. You have been in a whole other career. So you already, I believe, had an innate sensibility of looking at a person. Yeah, what about new nurses? How do you teach that? Or is it just time always? Well, it's like if you're precepting somebody and if they're mm -hmm. a student nurse, it's different from when they're uh, a resident nurse, like in mm -hmm. our previous place right. they're, they're called residents because you you're actually trying to give them the tools to do the job and so you you go okay let's go in and see this person this is what i think is going on and i'm going to let you kind of run the show and then we'll talk about what you think's going on and what i think maybe you did or didn't do and and it's not an indictment on you being right. a nurse you have to learn these things. And then the other thing I tried to instill is if you're working with somebody else, you figure out, you watch what they do and you try to make your tool bag from stuff that you've learned from everybody. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. And ultimately, yeah. ultimately, my goal was to make that nurse better than me. Right. So, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Always been my goal. I like what you said about um, giving tools. And to me, that means asking questions and for the leader for the charge nurse or whoever is your older or more experienced counterpart asking questions but then for the younger or less experienced nurse to ask questions of the more experienced nurse too and that's critical thinking is asking the questions answering them and trying to like go down the the road of where is that gonna lead if i do this then what and yeah, just like you said, it sounds like you yeah, were a like great you say, charge nurse. Don't be afraid to ask for help. 
I mean, right. we all, we've all taken somebody in and, you know, put a pulse ox on a finger and see a heart rate of 170 and you're going, shit. Absolutely. kid and two nurses right now. So right. it's like right. that. And then, you know, if, if the doc is paying attention, their head comes up like that. And like, <laughs> Why are all those people yep. going to that room that quickly? <laughs> I should follow. Come here, um, you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the, I think another really important thing is to make sure that nurses feel um, like you don't have to say anything other than I don't know. And that's a perfectly acceptable answer. Yeah, it's a great right? answer. I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Please help me figure out what's going on here. Yeah. I'm lost. And yeah. what do you think's um, wrong with me? I don't know, but we'll try to figure it out. We might not it. Yes. And that's out. that's being human about it. That's like, yeah. you know, we're we're trying to stay on we might have no more experience than they do at that, but what do they do on the outside world that we don't have any experience in? So it's right. the same thing. Right. So you I have know, a question we, about um administration and support in your department and what you think was good and what could be improved. Obviously we're going through a period of time of a great nursing crisis. I was uh, hired at UCLA as a brand new nurse in the uh, seventh floor, seven West at the time. Uh, it was liver transplant and vascular surgery overflow. I was completely terrified. It was a nursing shortage. I tried to make it clear that I had no business being there, that this was way above my skill level, but I was, it, it was the most amazing thing because I hit on a period of time where there were preceptors and charge nurses and administration that were present, that were trained, that were smart and compassionate. And I felt a hundred percent supported at that period of time in the mid eighties at UCLA. And it, not that I wasn't, you know, scared shitless for the first year, but I was absolutely felt privileged to be there. I felt supported. What, what was it like in the emergency room? Or I would like to say, what could be better in the departments that support you or a nurse? Well, staffing is the ultimate right. because you, you, you know, that was my that was my mantra when I hired up here in Washington. Is the first thing I said is we need a full time triage nurse. Right. You need to get the charge nurse out of the triage room so the charge nurse can do the tr charge nurse stuff. Oh. And that was before I became a charge nurse there, and that was just my observation of trying to free up that person to handle two sick people coming in the door at the same time, right. or you know you have you're doing a code and you know, the charge nurse sh should be just looking in the door, not in there pumping somebody's chest or right. whatever. And that way they can keep, you know, you're, you're looking there and you're also looking at the front door and you're also looking at whatever else is coming in by ambulance. And you're, you're looking to see if people need things or if they have all the equipment or do you need another hand or what? So staffing is the big thing. And that's been, you know, all of challenging. Them. Yeah. Now, when I was at UCLA, they did a really good job of keeping staffing. And that was from 2000 till 2014. 
So we can talk a little bit about recruiting and retaining nurses, because I think yeah. one of the biggest problems in nursing, not just my department, every department in certain systems is that we can't recruit and we can't retain. And let's just talk turkey here, if you don't mind. It really comes down to, do I feel valued? Do I have good benefits? And can I make my life here and retire from this exhausting, depleting job and be able to survive? Right. You, you want to, you want to feel, first of all, you want to feel safe where you work. Right. You want to, you want to go to work and not be afraid for your life or your job. Right. Because you're at the whim of somebody that has no idea what you're doing. That's unfortunately the thing that we battle is you have this, this, this dichotomy of thought or this chasm of management, middle management, and then the people that are doing the work. Now, right. their work is just as important, but it's not doing the work that we do to make the money for the hospital or, you right. know. Um, but one thing I did learn really fast, especially at UCLA, was we were the stepchildren because surgery ran and brought in the most revenue. The, the ER was just something that they can get people in from the clinics and, you know, their trauma systems and their or stroke systems and stuff like that. And that's what they built their reputation on that. And then you, you, you nurture the nurses to be able to do all of that stuff, which was a lot of fun. Um, it was yeah. Yeah. a great thing that you can, you know, you can go from a stub toe to a stroke, to a STEMI, to a trauma, and then back to the stub toe or to some baby that couldn't breathe or, you know, a mm -hmm. well-baked check for a nervous parent or, but then if you don't have the support of management or if management is lost because you have an inept manager or whatever's going on, mm -hmm. you become an island upon yourself. It's very so scary. You, it's you very scary. Like, yeah. And I, th I think that that's nowadays with all COVID and, and, you know, staffing and not being able to retain people. Um, I think that there is a big separation or disconnect between what they want us to do and what we have to do. Right. So the, and you know, I've had a lot of conversations with middle management and some of, sometimes the upper management, the, the, the suits that mm -hmm. are above our managers and unit directors. And I, you know, they ask a question, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really, I'm not your friend and I'm not, you know, I, I have a job to do and you have a job to do, but if you want me to do my job, you need to make it so that I can do my job. Right. And not be telling me, well, uh, you guys take, you know, you're not, you're not doing uh, efficient enough work to get through these patients. Where oh, that word efficiency. Yeah. Or throughput. Throughput. Those are, yeah. those are slippery slopes, aren't they? Yeah. Well, I don't think there's anything truthful about throughput because if your hospital's full, you're not moving people out of your department. Right. And if you're not moving people out of the department, you're going to slow down who's coming through the door and where to place them. And if you're stressing your nurses by watching floor patients and taking care of your ER patients and your psychiatry patients or your behavioral patients, as they want to call them now, right. um, it's, it's spreading people too thin. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. nowadays, um, people are getting dumped in the ER because 
police and fire don't know what to do with them. There's no right. resources out there in the world for them. So yeah. they bring them to us and they put them on a hold and, mm-hmm. and you have to deal with the consequences of that. And then, you know, social workers are lifesavers. Social workers are people that are doing that to get people either out on the street or back home or into a facility where they can get treatment. Right. Absolutely. Amazing. It's, it's still is very frustrating because every once in a while I still get stuff, blogs from, or, you know, mm-hmm. quests from my ex coworkers and I see the holes that they have too on nights mm-hmm. and it's a small department, it's 20 something beds and mm-hmm. it closes down a lot of sections, but still you have, especially with the COVID stuff, you're busy. Yep. Yep. Right. All the time. It's not like you just get to walk into a room and treat them. You got to gown up. You have to, you know, pr- protect yourself, make sure that they're protected and then go in and do it. And there's, you know, the, well, you're taking too much time to do that, but that's not the reality of working in the ER. Right. It takes as long as it takes. Yeah. Having you- access to proper staffing and budget and not having to worry about those um, those patients because there's not enough staff. It's uh, it's so stressful. Do you think that nursing schools or administrations, when they start new nursing programs to train new nurses, do you think nurses are aware, especially young nurses, of what it's like to be a nurse nowadays? Did you feel that the people that came in that were new understood this job? Like you, I went through a long time ago, you know, over mm-hmm. 20 years and yeah, I was super focused on getting through that so I can get a job. Right. So I didn't really look at the um, the politics of it. Right. You know, I think that's what it is, the politics of it. And yeah, um, you know, it's you. Tr- you just get out there and you, you your first year is learning your job and then after you learn your job and become comfortable in it and you start getting more, you know, you, you do this and that and mm-hmm. confident and yeah. efficient. Then start, and, yeah. Start, then they start, you know, come, they come to you and say, well, I think that we need to do this. And you're like, that doesn't sound too fair yeah. or, you know, we're going to, so you, it's always a battle trying mm-hmm. to keep uh, the safety of your coworkers. And safety can be a lot of things. It can be, you know, the equipment, uh, more staff, security, um, yep. having a place that you can go that you're not going to be attacked by, you know, physically, verbally attacked by staff members or a manager coming down because they got a phone call because you mistreated somebody or whatever. Right. Um, so you, you learn to kind of, you know, you grow a thick skin. You do. And I think it's also one of the things that for me is, and as you know, um, I'm very, very interested in how nurses are treated and um, nursing contracts. And I think it's so important that nurses learn right from the get go how to advocate for their patients and for themselves and for their licenses. Mm -hmm. And that being able to have a voice um, and learning how to communicate with um, upper management and charge nurses and write letters and get into the business of understanding what your job is ultimately 
your job ultimately is doing the best patient care that you can, but you also have to take care of yourself and your family. Mm -hmm. And this should be a profession of collaboration and not necessarily this hierarchy um, that inhibits nurses from being able to fully realize their power and their potential and their contribution to how nursing departments run. Yeah, I, I, I feel that, not to toot anybody's horns, but to become a nurse, to do this kind of work, you have to have some sort of skills in the first place, even though you have to learn nursing and all that, you have, you know, you have, you have to be a fairly strong personality, but not over strong. And you have to be able to flex and adapt. And yeah. that's one of the things that when you talk about new nurses is there and nurses that have, you know, like two or three years into nursing, you're like, they don't know how to change gears. Right. Mm -hmm. So you try to, you know, you try to remind them as like, you know, you could have let that gone and done this. And why did you make the choice? And a lot of times you'll hear management coming to somebody and saying that. And, yeah. And, and you're thinking, mm, I didn't see it that way. So then you go you're back to the manager and you're like, that's not really what happened. Right. And, you know, you can't be afraid to talk to them because what are they going to do yeah. to you? Right. And you, and you have to be able to um, advocate for your fellow nurses when yeah. they're being leaned on and yeah. make sure that you support each other as I'm still a nurse now, um, support right. each other. And like, it's okay to talk about what you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. There shouldn't be any ramifications for advocating for a patient or for yourself as a professional, as a nurse. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's where you get into management ego and I'm right. your boss and that's yeah. unfortunate because ultimately they're there for our not benefit, but it is our benefit because they need to do the things they do for us to do the things that we do. Well, Fred, this is great. Thank you so much. You've had a world Thank of you, experience Fred. in every area. So new nurses, flexibility, adaptation, mm -hmm. advocacy for your patient, take care of yourself, find your voice. Yeah. Uh, we really appreciate your time. This was great. Thank you, Fred. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Birth Nurses Podcast. If you enjoyed this, there are a few ways you can support us. First, you can share this podcast with your pregnant friends or new moms. Secondly, you can write a review and rate us on iTunes. And thirdly, we would love if you would check out our Instagram accounts and websites. I'm on Instagram as Preparented and online www.preparented.com. And Liz is on Instagram as Birth Nurse Liz and her website is birthandbeyond.net. Thanks for listening.